celebration of sex after 50 was birthed as a result of my perimenopausal journey. I started saying something needs to be out there. There is no help from your gynecologist. There is no help from your doctor. Nobody gets this. Women can start to experience uh, symptoms of perimenopause up to about 15 years before menopause. That puts you at 36. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna get older, that's, that's just inevitable, but you don't have to act like an old person. Dear young at heart married couple, this episode is about sex after 50, but if you are younger than 50, you are bound to get a lot out of it as well. I know I sure did. I'm doing this episode solo because Adam is doing some ministry work out of the country right now. Um, but this interview with Dr. Jim and Carolyn Childerson was awesome. They are full of um, experience, but also clinical knowledge. And um, Jim is a psychologist. Carolyn um, was the practice administrator and pastoral counselor at their practice before they semi-retired and moved to Colorado. Um, but they uh, both have such an education, both in psychology and in um, theology. So Jim has a PhD in clinical psychology from Fuller, and Carolyn has a master's in counseling, and um, they are experts when it comes to sex and aging. And so even though we're dear young married couple, we have a lot of people who ask us questions about menopause, um, about erectile dysfunction, um, both as a younger or older man. Um, but we wanted to every now and then throw out an episode to you guys um, that are listening who are older and have some specific considerations for your marriage, your sex life. And Jim and Carolyn, Childerson are the people to really pour into us here. So you're in for an awesome interview. Welcome Dr. Jim and Carolyn to the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. It's a privilege. Oh, for sure. Well, you guys have been married for a very long time, and today we're going to talk about sex after 50. But before we do, I just want to get um, to know a little bit more about how you guys became connected to Dr. Doug uh, Rosenau, who wrote the book, The Celebration of Sex. And um, for those who don't know, The Celebration of Sex is a book that we've used here at Dear Young Married Couple for a long time. It's a book that we've assigned to students who were in counseling courses that we taught back in the day. And um, it's also a book that we've referenced in our courses for uh, momfidence. And um, it's fabulous. It can be used as both a textbook and a book that you just read for help as as a, a couple. And um, so I, I want to just give a shout out to that book and we'll link that in the show notes. But then along came the celebration of sex after 50. So. Well, I met Doug uh, back in the early 90s, I suppose, um, probably at one of, uh, at a conference someplace. Okay. Uh, and uh, we got to know each other. And and um, shortly after that, New Mexico. Yeah, and shortly after that, the Institute for Sexual Wholeness uh, began, Sexual Wholeness Inc. And uh, so I began to. Uh, uh, we were initially on the board uh, with with that particular organization, okay. and with that, the Institute for Sexual Wholeness is a is a is a, a, a credentialing program for sex Christian sex therapists. Oh. And so uh, I, I teach a couple courses in that particular. Um, uh, sequence as well. Wonderful. So we, we, we've known each other for quite some time. Uh, he unfortunately passed last year yes. and we miss him, we miss him greatly. 
Uh, I also say that there's been there's actually two spinoff books from his Celebration of Sex. Uh, there's the Celebration of Sex After Fifty, which Doug and Carol and I did, and the Celebration of Sex for Newlyweds, which yes. is a really condensed version for newlyweds. Yeah. yeah, we have that one as well. We will link all three of these in the show notes, so people who are listening, if you're like, well, I fall in this category, um, you can grab uh, the book that most pertains to you and maybe grab one as a gift for someone else. Um, but you're going to find so much from these books. Um, they are fabulous and full of not just biblical truth, which is the foundation, but also clinical truth. Um, they always coincide because um, all truth is God's truth. Um, right. So talk to us a little bit actually about that. Um, Dr. Jim, you are, um, you graduated from Fuller. Um, and I love Fuller's integration program. They're constantly focused at the proper, uh, integration of psychology and theology. So why is it important that as children of God, we are, um, that we need to know about how sex should be celebrated? Well, you know, it was instituted by God um, yes. before it got messed up after the fall. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's 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 still there for us to enjoy. It's 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 it is a metaphor for intimacy with God Himself, um, and we know that through the you know the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, and and it's 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 a way for us our spirituality and our sexuality, uh, unfortunately, in our society have become very separated. Yeah. And I think they're intended to be uh, kind of integrated. They're supposed to be together so that we mm -hmm. can so that we can actually experience um, the, the intimacy with our creator as well as in his intimacy with our with our spouse. And uh, um, this, it's, yeah, Fuller, that was quite some time ago. Um, and um, I, would, I might also reference uh, I had sex. I had a, a, a introduction to human sexuality class that was taught by Cliff and Joyce Penner. Who, oh, that's awesome! I, the I, gift I know, of sex. Yeah, I know, I know they've been on your been on your program as well. Yeah, and 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 I've had a chance to teach with Cliff and Joyce, and and, and they also teach with the Institute of Sexual Wholeness. They they do an advanced sex therapy class, which is they're just that's they're fabulous. just wonderful in that situation. So you know that takes us back a few years. It does. Yeah. My goodness. Well, I'm privileged to be in the presence of um, people who are much more experienced and studied um, than I. So thank you for pouring into me and the audience today. Um, so Carolyn, you have done some pastoral counseling work. As a pastoral counselor, did you find that people had um, maybe some sort of resistance to talking about sex in a Christian setting or in a church setting? Um, I don't know that I experienced that so much personally because um, I usually, uh, as, a, as the director of our practice mm -hmm. in Maryland, I was taking all the intake calls. So usually I had an intake call would take about 45 minutes and I would mm -hmm. have quite a rapport established with the people. Then they all wanted to come and see me, which uh. most of the time... I wasn't trying to get them to see me. I was putting them to somebody else. Right. I just needed to know what their situation was. Okay. Um, so I always was just very blatant in speaking out. And I developed relationships with a number of pastors um, because they were referring their own congregants there. Right. And then um, as that went along, I started having pastors refer their associate pastors. And then they'd say, but you have to see Carolyn. Uh, so, um, my, my bachelor's is in Christian education. Okay. So I had a, I went to Biola, I had, had a bachelor's in Christian education. 
Then I went on and got a master's in biblical counseling Mm -hmm. through Trinity. And then I went on, um, I did one for 40 years, one for 50 years. Then I waited till I was 65 and decided I was going to do my doctorate. Okay. Um, I did do all the coursework for that. Nice. And in the process of all that, we did the move, we shut down the practice, we did all these other things. Mm-hmm. And my stress levels got to be really high. Ah. And I realized that I probably was not going to be able to complete my dissertation in the time limit that they would let me do it. Okay. Yeah. So at that point, I called my advisor and just said, I believe God is telling me that I'm just going to be Mrs. Thompson. But, you know, I don't have a dissertation, and so I'm not doctor. And Mm -hmm. I used to tease him all the time that it was going to be doctor and doctor. And, you know, now it isn't. So So you have a lot of experience, both in terms of clinical work and pastoral work. Um, But with the pastors coming to you directly and uh, having consults with you, referring folks to you, did they find it to be relieving that there was someone willing to talk about sex in Christian circles or was there resistance to that? Can you speak to I that think, a little bit? I think with me, I think that could actually depend on who they were talking to. Mm. I don't know that we could just say this is the standard because uh, we worked with people that were incredibly conservative. Yeah. We'll clear up to people that were very liberal in their theology. So I don't think it's that as much as how they connect with the person that they're talking to. Sure. Um, and I think that because I just put everything right out on the table quickly. Yeah. I think that they just felt like I was a very candid person. I just spoke the truth. Maybe the first thing I said to them, you know, like, are you having trouble with your sexual life as well? You know, just like, are you growing a garden? You yeah, know, just basic. Uh, you know, uh-huh. I think that I put them more at ease. It's like, okay, so that it, that's how it is with her. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think I had uh, very much resistance to me at all. I think it's I think it's changed over the years too. I think that you know, back in the '90s, I had a book that came out that was on male sexuality, and it was through Moody Press, and I, they wanted to put it like in a brown paper cover, you know, so that it wouldn't like show up. I mean, it was like we're afraid, you know. That it was is so funny. And, oh and, my god! And they didn't they didn't want him to use certain words that it's just about impossible. It's yeah. it's hard to talk about sex without using the word penis. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh but, but my the, goodness! But, that's but the point is, society's changed a lot. Not necessarily for the good, but there's a, there's been a much more of an openness towards yes. towards sex. Right. Uh, but the issue is, you know, again, having a sanctified view of sex is 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 I think what we try to bring into the situation because so right. much of sex is oriented around performance, is oriented around um, um, a lots of other sort of um, you know either you know, call it carnal or or or, or perverted sort of uh, orientations. And so I think that um, people are people who um, at least at least our age and so forth, unless they've had some sort of sexual trauma or sexual hurt in some sort of a way, uh, there's an openness uh, at least to I think talking about it and at least uh, having some understanding. And one one of the things that you know is so important too, and what we try to do with the book as well is is is, is to educate yeah. and to help people understand you know what is you know what is what is what is normal, what is yeah. healthy, uh, mm-hmm. what is what is reasonable. And uh, you know when people have sexual problems, they uh, 
oftentimes get really worried about it. Uh, men don't want to talk about it, you know. Um, yep. And and so sometimes it's just a matter of opening the conversation and normalizing a lot of these things so that we can actually address the, the difficulties that maybe they may be having. I'm going to sure. tag on there for just a second. Yeah. Um, my dissertation, which was approved, okay, that didn't happen, was on pastors and pornography. Okay. So um, I had been speaking to pastors for a very long time about mm -hmm. the subject of pornography and would they be interested in being involved in a study. And so, you know, I guess I kind of broke down a bunch of walls just doing that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask a question about pornography, especially with people um, after 50. Do you have any research that you've done in terms of statistics? So what are the numbers of maybe Christian men or women older than 50 that use pornography regularly? I don't think I have any 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 current research on that. Uh, all I would have would be anecdotal evidence. Okay. And I, I would say men that use pornography you know, before 50, more likely than not, we'll use pornography after 50. Okay. Uh, okay. It's kind of a continuation because it's such a, a habit or addictive sort of um, um, behavior. And, yeah. um, and I, what we do see, though, is a direct relationship between use of pornography and, and various kinds of sexual dysfunctions. Mm -hmm. uh, it, can, it can result in not only premature ejaculation, it can also sometimes result in delayed ejaculation mm -hmm. and sometimes in erectile dysfunction. So uh, right. all three things can be linked to pornography uh, because, you know, focusing on that particular image is so different than actually dealing with a person uh, directly. Um, mm -hmm. we, we, we know that um, some of the research that's, that's out there now, too, says that um, uh, the more a person uses pornography, the less capable they are in terms of actually achieving legitimate or genuine intimacy. It mm -hmm. robs people of genuine, genuine intimacy, and that becomes a real huge issue, ultimately. Yeah. I, think, I think the other thing with that is with the internet being so private, and so prolific, everyone has it. I mean, his mother is 90, okay? She goes online, okay? She does stuff all the time. And so do all the other people who live in the senior apartments, okay? So does stuff as in like views pornography. Well, no, she doesn't. But okay. I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's so easy, you know, to just put a couple words in Google, yes, and you're looking for something to be helpful to you, and all of a sudden you're into a site that you didn't want to go to, right? And so there are far more women involved in pornography now than perhaps there ever was when they had to go to the liquor store and buy a magazine yep. and put it in a brown bag. Well, one, exactly. and one of the things one of the things that we you know we know about the pornography as well is that not only does it impact a person's uh, intimacy, um, it it also becomes a, uh, oftentimes a shortcut uh, mm -hmm. for actual um, for a couple actually working through issues and so forth. Right. Um, I've sat on a you know I've worked with a couple before and and he's just not interested in sex that much because it's so much work right? So much effort as opposed to the ease and the selfishness associated with just engaging in pornography. So that's, that becomes another factor that you end up having to deal with sometimes too. So, right. yeah. um, but, but then that's why, you know, one of the, that's, again, that's one of the reasons why in, 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 in our effort in the book is, is, is to try to help people learn what it means to mature. 
to learn what, learn what it means to actually grow up, uh, grow up and not necessarily grow old. Right. You know, we're going to we're going to get older. That's that's just inevitable. But you don't have to act like an old person, you know, in that sense. You know? <laughs> and, I love that. And so it's like, what are the steps that, um, you know, really, you know, um, help us uh, help us through the process, the maturation process? You know, mm -hmm. what is it that helps us understand the difference between, um, you know, just sex versus intimacy? And we and we do make a distinction uh, in that. It's it's interesting too if you think about it. We've we've done a lot of cruising um, over the years. Uh, we have over five hundred days at sea, and oh, awesome. uh, and one of the things that I've discovered is people go get older is they either get grumpy or gracious, okay? They slide one direction or the other. You know, okay. they, either, they either complain about everything and, you know, here they are on a beautiful ship and, then, you know, seeing beautiful locations and so forth, and they're still complaining. I say, like, what do you really have to complain about? But it's a mindset. And some people are thankful. Some people express gratitude and they're gracious. And so yeah. it's, it, it goes along with what we, you know, we talk about at the beginning of the book that, you know, we want to make choices for passionate change. Ultimately, that uh, that, that that there are going to be changes that you're going to encounter as you get older, and and they, they and you're going to encounter lots of challenges, basically, as a function of those changes, and that are going to present us with a choice. And and we're going to either choose uh, to engage in creative solutions, or we're going to experience some sort of you know, negative existence. And that's kind of what we see with the people who are either grumpy or gracious. And so what kind of choices are we going to make as we encounter things? And some of the choices is even just to accept and or grieve the changes that happen. I, I work with a lot of people that, you know, they don't like the the, 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 uh, the, the evidences or the realities of getting older. You know, uh, you know I, I used to jog, now I walk. You know, those there's just differences that you experience in that situation. And, 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 and if we just continue to refuse to accept it, or fight it, uh, we're gonna move more towards that negative existence uh, as opposed to being able to you know, embrace it and recognize that there's some realities that we just have to accept, sometimes grieve and That's move really forward. Good. That's yeah. really good. I think if we tag back to the question that you had about um, Doug Rosenau and how this all came to be and how did we know him and um, he wasn't doing a ton of speaking on sex uh, only tiny bits at the time that we were also doing conferences. Mm. And so we were kind of the weird ones at the sex table, you know, over there. <laughs> With the brown paper bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on our heads. Uh, <laughs> but but um, I think really celebration of sex after 50 kind of was birthed as a result of my perimenopausal journey. Hmm. I think that I started saying to Doug and to Jim, um, something needs to be out there. This is, there is no help. There is no help from your gynecologist. There is no help from your doctor. Nobody gets this. Hmm. And, um, but obviously I wasn't having just a normal perimenopause, menopause, I was having something quite different and nobody seemed to know how to do anything with it. So, well, let me just clarify too. I mean, we talk about menopause, uh, the change that happens in the change, right? It, it happens in women as they're, they, they, they uh, start to no longer have periods and, mm -hmm. and average age is like 51.4, you know, okay. is when, when a person goes through menopause and, and you have dropping estrogen levels and that makes a big difference in terms of your skin and in terms of your hair and in terms of, you know, vaginal elasticity and things like that yep. as well. Yep. Uh, but, the, but, 
women can start to experience uh, symptoms of perimenopause up to about 15 years before menopause. Wow. And, okay. and, and that's a long time. I mean, so that puts you at 36. Yeah, 36. Right. Usually by 40, most women are experiencing some degree of, men, of perimenopausal symptoms. And I now, bet so most women in their 30s and up to 40 would not consider no. themselves a candidate for that. So they're not right. thinking in terms of perimenopausal symptoms when they do they're, experience these. Things. They're not. That's exactly right. Yeah. And and when we would speak on it at a lot of conferences, I would have women come up to me and start describing things and say to me, do you think this could be that? Uh -huh. And it's like, it was just like, you just took it right off the blueprint. It's like, yeah. Okay. okay so what are some of these symptoms? I know you listed some, um, Dr. Jim. Carolyn, what are some other symptoms that folks can look out for? Well, I think one of the one of the real prevalent uh, two they kind of go together is sleeplessness, okay, anxiety. Mm -hmm. So they kind of start working off of each other, and you can think it's because your teenagers are now going out and you're worried about if they're going to make curfew or did they have a car accident. You could contribute those kind of things to um phase of life situations but they really aren't they're not the same wow okay well i think yeah i think the, i think the key thing on that is if you're anxious anyway you'll be more anxious more likely than not if you have a, a tendency towards being anxious you'll probably be more anxious and i think yeah. the other thing about that uh, it, it's not you know sometimes hot flashes or night sweats and so forth are things that people think about with menopause or perimenopause but think about what that does it interferes with your sleep and right. and 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 that has a direct relationship on, you know, obviously your sexual life as well. If you're too tired, there's not a lot of motivation to want to do that sort of thing. And yep. then there's then there's other little things that can happen. This is one of the things that happened with us. Um, it's it's something called formication. I didn't say fornication. I said okay. formication with an and M, that, as in M and M's. That's, okay. that's right. And that's a feeling like there's bugs biting you. Um, oh. I don't know how many times she had us change the sheets because she thought she I knew there were fleas. I knew there were oh, fleas. Oh my goodness. Okay. And she'd get mad because they weren't biting me. They were just biting her. You know, it wasn't unfair. These bugs were prejudiced, you know, you know, wow. and, and, and so, I mean, that kind of thing is going to disturb your sleep as well. Right. Uh, and one of the things that Carolyn experienced was, was, um, you know, waking up in the dead of night in a panic attack, just mm -hmm. out of out of nowhere, just waking up, you know. And I would already be into the attack. So it's like, if if today I have a panic attack, but I'm awake, I can start talking myself through it because right. I've worked with enough anx anxious people to know how to right. do that. But when you wake up in the dead of night and you're already all the way into it, you can't even speak. And of course he's sleeping like a log. And I'm telling him, I'm having panic attacks every night and he's wow. going, no, you aren't. I'm not waking not up. Not that I was aware of. You know, right. <laughs> so I, I eventually resorted to just banging my head on the wall <laughs> so that I could wake him up so that he would take my face in his hands and start talking me through it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that was, uh, I mean, and that led to some other things. But there, there's just so many things. Uh, never once did I have a doctor say, oh, I think that's because that's part of perimenopause. Oh. In fact, I had a doctor tell me after I had had no, no bleeding for 11 months, he ran his little blood test and he told me, oh no, you're nowhere close to menopause. Okay. And, I never, and I never had another bleed. Oh my goodness. Why are the doctors or, and I, we can't say all, but why 
uh, you know, generally speaking, are are the doctors or, or OBGYNs, why are they not helpful when it comes to the symptoms of perimenopause? Well, I think one of the difficulties is, um, and one of the treatments is, is estrogen replacement therapy or hormone replacement therapy. And it's been so controversial uh, okay. because it's like, would you like to have endometrial cancer or would you like to have breast cancer? I mean, uh, it's one of those things, okay. sort of things. And so um, if a person has had a hysterectomy, uh, obviously that takes the endometrial cancer piece out of it. And so it sometimes is easier to do uh, hormone replacement. In that case, it would be okay. primarily uh, estrogen replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that there, and, and, and there are, there are, you know, people that really benefit from that. Um, back several years ago, the, the Women's Health Initiative was a big big national study that that looked at hormone replacement therapy and and its usefulness and words, pluses and minuses and dangers and so forth. And, and as a result of that, pulled a lot of people immediately who were successfully on hormone replacement therapy off of it. And there were lots of women, millions of women got miserable overnight because of that, because uh, it's a kind of thing where it's kind of you know, you're playing with numbers. If you if you are taking hormone replacement therapy, your your chance of increasing uh, your risk for breast cancer increases like four percent. Mm -hmm. But if you have a if you have a first generation relative that has breast cancer, it increases four hundred percent. So it's really tied wow. to genetics, really okay. in a significant way. So that's one of the treatments. But then you know there's several other things that women can do in terms of from a supplements perspective or herbal perspective that can sometimes make it easier. And ultimately, we've seen it as an opportunity to actually work with couples to help them through the whole process together, because uh, that's what's really, really necessary is to start the communication in terms of what can we do to really kind of improve the situation. Yeah. Because otherwise, it can be it can be an event that causes a couple to actually kind of experience disconnection from each other, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, and, it can, sense. and it can be permanent. I mean, they'll end up divorcing over things that were not necessary. Uh if they just would have known. I think another thing is I, I was very fortunate to have one of the leading, leading endocrinologists in the nation. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he was always great to talk with me about everything. And I said to him, I said, well, I went and had that test and I'm not in, I'm not in perimenopause or menopause. And he said, I know that's what they told you. He said, and that's what all doctors would tell you. But there's only one hour in every month that that test is accurate. <laughs> so, so they would have had to hit the it's one a narrow, hour. It's a pretty narrow window there in that situation. He said, otherwise, they could test you and test you, and they'll keep telling you the same thing. And I had no idea that wow. it was that narrow and i don't think most gynecologists know that well, so like what he's saying is in your cycle there's yeah. only yeah. One, hour one hour where they could test it and be accurate well, they can get they, wow. yeah they can get some sense of it because what you're really looking at is an increase in fsh or follicle stimulating hormone and a decrease in estrogen okay. and that kind of, kind of combination is what kind of kicks off a lot of those things but gotcha. most of the people know it as a function of just dealing with with with, with symptoms the symptomology is a far better yeah. indicator yeah, okay. we had a we had a really wild ride i think our our i was you know, I had taken some training and so forth. I have a, I have a board certification in psychopharmacology. And so mm -hmm. I work a lot with docs and so forth, helping with, with um, making sure the right medication or no medication gets prescribed for people. But going through Carolyn's menopause or perimenopause actually moved me into a whole sexual pharmacology aspect of things okay. in terms of trying to understand 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. And understand the meds and so forth associated with that. And that's what really kind of kicked off an awful lot of the um, connection with Doug Rose now as well. So okay. we started talking more about those kinds of things because Carolyn, I read a small study. I read a study that where a small subset of women, uh, we were trying to address the sleep and panic situation. And a small subset of women seemed to benefit from, from uh, testosterone augmentation. Ah. And, and, and so. <laughs> back- so I was on testosterone for six years. Okay. okay. Um, I was on it before Androgel was released. Yes, which, which when is, Androgel came out, I went on it the day it came out on into the pharmacy. Yeah, okay. we, we, have, we have kind of some crazy stories about that because it was a really Real very crazy. wild ride. Because initially, it was not uh, FDA approved for women at all. And so she got a shot, you know, okay. uh, a testosterone shot. And, and co- within about 15 minutes, you are ready to take on the world. I mean, she, wow. her, she, she, she started, it, it does change your brain in a significant way. Uh, she started eating more red meat. Um, <laughs> uh, I, nor- I normally don't care for meat, yeah, actually. Well, but she, and she actually did start to sleep better, which was an important thing. That's but I, I, recall, I recall a couple of days after that, she'd taken that. And I was in bed and she had left the bedroom and came back into the bedroom. And she proceeded to, to punch me right in the jaw, just bam, like that. And then she <laughs> looks at her fist and she goes, you know... I think my testosterone's too high. And I and I rubbed my jaw and I said, you know what? I think it is too. Oh my I think, goodness. I mean, it's just aggressiveness and things like that. So you so get a lots lot of, of side effects. Yeah. Lots of side effects. And so we finally got that titrated down to a, a much more reasonable level to where she was able to actually sleep, but not have as many of the other sort yeah. of uh, negative effects of the of, of it. But it was, uh, it does change your brain. It, sure. it really does yeah. in a significant way. Yeah. So we're talking about perimenopause and we'll talk about some of the considerations for men as well. But I, I want to ask when it comes to women after 50 or women who are entering into perimenopause and then menopause, um, how does this impact the couple's sex life? Um, I, we talked about sleeplessness a little bit and how that can impact their sex life. How else does that impact? Well, one of the biggest differences and one of the biggest effects it has is as, as a woman ages and as estrogen levels drop, her vagina starts to thin and narrow. Yeah. Um, and, and so that she uh, is much more subject to breakthrough bleeding. Uh, it's much more, it's becomes much, it's, it's, it's it, the skins, it becomes much more sensitive in that sense. I, I use a sports analogy. It's not necessarily most, most women can't relate to it as well as men, but I, I think of a vagina, a, a, a young vagina as a brand new catcher's mitt. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and so it can handle 99 mile an hour fastballs without a problem. Okay. You just, 
it's just it hits it and it's got plenty of padding no problem at all but over time that padding starts to it basically gets get, get squeezed together right and so then when a fastball comes it hurts it stings it it, it really is not it's not pleasant at all uh, fortunately, most men don't have fastballs. They only have off-speed pitches and curveballs and things like that. So it's not <laughs> quite bad. But but uh, and, but that's one of the things that happens, and that's why sometimes uh, supplemental um, um, estrogen um, that is vaginally inserted and so forth can be very very helpful okay. uh, to the vagina in order to be able to help it plump up a little bit in order to be able to get a little bit more padding back. Yeah, because it can be painful, the, right? That's the main thing is that the main concerns is pain. And, and, um, and I think sometimes it has to do with, you know, how long or how vigorous the thrusting is and so forth from the male as well. But, but that becomes a couple's decision to, to kind of work through in terms of, you know, what is, you know, how do I need to do this yeah. in order for it to be pleasurable and not so painful that it's not, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. And yeah. now that you've heard from the man as to how it is for the woman, I'll tell you about the woman. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> um, as a young woman, I was tremendously orgasmic. Uh -huh. I could have multiple orgasms every time we had sex. It didn't matter whether they were internal, external. Mm -hmm. I, actually, I could. I was just very orgasmic. Yeah. Um, but when I got into that period of time, I couldn't necessarily control my vagina the same way. Okay. So all of those kegels and all that kind of stuff. It just, and sometimes I just felt like a wall. I mean, I, you, uh, my brain wouldn't turn on for sexual things. It was just off on a whole lot of other things, Yeah. which that's a problem for women in general anyway. Well, well And I the think... answer is not do it for Jesus. Right. I'll tell <laughs> right. you that right now. Right. Pretty soon you got a problem with Jesus too. Because yeah. <laughs> well, the point there is that when a woman thinks about sex, she's much more open to, to being, she's much more receptive in her desire to, to, to want to have sex. If she doesn't ever think about it, and there can be a variety of things that can get in the way, then, then it's not as likely to happen either. Right. So then that non-orgasmic phase where I could just hardly get anything no matter what. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen. Uh -huh. Okay. I don't know why. Yeah. So then you, you know, you feel as a woman, like what's wrong with me? I must be dead. Mm. I mean, because this is, this is very strange. So fast forward about from 50 to about eight, 70, 68. Okay. And um, I end up having a massive hysterectomy. It was took they took everything, and um, my life was less stressed because we were moving, and I wasn't involved in so, as many things. Okay. And then my orgasms came back. Ah. So something to do with the stress and the hysterectomy that. Possibly. But it doesn't make sense because many women who have hysterectomy, uh, your orgasms feel different if they also took your cervix. cervix. Yeah. Okay. They, if, they feel different. If there's no cervix, there's no spasming that takes place that, that, okay. that allows that to have But that they, they still can be very deep and very pleasurable. Okay. But I think during those 18 years, one of the things that I personally needed to learn is I needed to learn how spiritual the act of intimacy is. Wow. 
and how it isn't it isn't about can I do it for Jesus or it isn't, but it's all about instead, this is an opportunity for the man who I love with my whole heart, you know, to be closer to me than anyone else can be. Yeah. Yep. And I think that that is sometimes where your mind has to go. Now, that doesn't mean you want to do it six times out of seven. Yeah. Okay. That, you know, too much of a good thing, but, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I think the other thing that Carolyn experienced, and this is true for a lot of women too, is the is that the nature of their orgasms can sometimes change as a function of aging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, you know, maybe before it was a wild roller coaster, and now it's just more like ripples on a pond. Okay. okay. It's like little bumps. Little bumps, you yeah. know. And, 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 and men change also with aging. Uh, their, their erections are not as, aren't as firm. Um, they, the ejaculations may not be as forceful. Um, you know, I had one fellow one time say, you know, I, I must be impotent because I used to be able to hit the ceiling with my ejaculations and now it just kind of dribbles. I went, well, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessary. It doesn't have to hit the ceiling. That's not yeah. a requirement. It's yeah. okay. You know, yeah. you're not, you're just getting older. It's not a bad thing. It's okay. Right. You know, but I mean, but I think helping people become educated as to what's normal right. becomes important there too. You know? So we talk a lot when, when it comes to aging, we talk a lot about women going through perimenopause and menopause and the hormonal changes that she experiences. What are some of the hormonal changes that the man will experience as he ages? Well, there's actually several pauses. There's, there's, there's menopause. There's something called somatopause. There's adrenopause uh, and there's something called uh, andropause. Okay. And andropause is a dropping levels of testosterone. After, after about age 40, a man will start to drop testosterone levels of about one to 2% a year. Okay. And so, and so you start to see, uh, you know, increasing drop in that and not every man experiences it the same way. Some men will experience a sense of, um, uh, you know, kind of, kind of feeling weakness. They feel more malaise. They feel more as if they just don't have the energy they once have. Uh, that, that, and that's what we talk about. When we talk about male menopause. Okay. It's basically, it's basically if these androgen levels or his testosterone levels have dropped to the place where he just doesn't feel very good, and he doesn't have much energy, and he doesn't have much enthusiasm. And so, oftentimes, um, we look at whether or not someone like that would benefit from testosterone augmentation. Unfortunately, what we have in our society is a lot of these T centers or testosterone centers uh, where people who don't need testosterone get a lot of extra testosterone and all they do is be, become just more difficult to live with. <laughs> you know, yeah. it does. It does. If you're more aggressive and more horny and uh, more reactive, it doesn't necessarily help you be a better lover and certainly not necessarily a better husband. Uh, but when, when actually it, 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 it's something that would help a person um, be able to uh, be able to have a little bit more energy, a little bit more vitality, a little bit more enthusiasm for life. Um, he can then exercise perhaps a little bit more. He can actually improve his muscle muscle mass and things like that. Those yeah. kinds of things become as important. I'm not talking about a man being on steroids and right. voiding out thing like that. But I, what, I, what I'm talking about is sometimes not all men, there's a smaller percentage of men that seem to experience that male menopause, but every man does experience that drop in testosterone, uh, you know, every, every year after 40 that he, he, that he yeah. lives. And, 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 and there's also that, you know, some men just aren't as, uh, their sex drive isn't quite as strong as it once was. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't mean that their desire for intimacy and closeness and connection isn't still there. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. So so does frequency of intercourse typically go down after 50, even though the desire for connection is still there and maybe stronger than ever? 
Uh, yeah, it does. It does to a certain extent. I think. I think that. Um, and I think that's important to recognize that sex and intimacy, or um, you know, sexual intimacy, is not just intercourse. Right. You know, there's lots of ways in which people feel close and feel connected. There's lots of ways in which people can can experience um, intimacy in that sense. Um, you know, from holding and cuddling to kissing to you know caressing. There's a, a variety of different things, and sometimes even. Uh, you know, mutual masturbation and things like that too. Uh, uh, some, and sometimes that relates to whether or not a man is experiencing erectile dysfunction or not, or whether or not mm -hmm. a woman is experiencing vaginal pain. All those things become factors. The issue is what's happening in the nature of the relationship. Is the relationship continuing to grow? Is it continuing to develop? Is it continuing to, you know, as people spend that much time together and, you know, and, and for us, you know, thank God for the empty nest. I mean, we have five kids. Okay. Uh -huh. And, and we love them all, and we're really glad they don't live here anymore. Okay, yes. that's like, <laughs> and, and, uh, and we'll deal with this one spoiled cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and, and, and I'm semi-retired. I'm working two days a week. I haven't figured out how to do full retirement yet. And so, okay. uh, but, so we kind of, and, and I'm doing that. And, and, yeah. and so we have a lot more time together. And we have a lot yeah. more time. You know, without all this uh, sort of hustle and bustle and running around, mm. no commu no commuting and things like that, which those are the those are the blessings associated with this time of age, yes. this, this, this time of life that, you, you know, uh, I mean, when we when we wrote the book several years ago, uh, you know, we, we we had five, basically five teenagers in the home. Uh, we had all kinds of things happening all the time, and it is. But then we had four in college at one time. It was this, it was a pretty exhausting time. We talked about it as being lost in the labyrinth of life, and that's kind of yeah. that's kind of how it feels like that because that takes a whole lot more focus and 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 intentionality in order right. to be able to uh, in order to be able to get together. Uh, so and they're not independent enough that they really, even though they're in college, that they really are like gone. Okay. okay. And so we're on one cruise and three of them have car accidents in the time we're on one cruise. Oh my goodness. In 11 days. Oh. And you're out in the middle of the Caribbean trying to negotiate what you ought to do for this accident. That's I mean, awful. Like yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about sex and aging, we're not just talking about hormonal changes or body changes, but we're talking also about circumstantial changes that can be quite a blessing, like right. empty nesting. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that if you are a good parent, okay, and, and, and you uh, have done a good job of parenting your kids, and actually you've helped them prepare for launching, you know, uh, whereas a lot of it's, it's in our society right now, um, the 30, there are 32% of adults between 18 and 31 that are still living with parents. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's 30, 34% of men and 30% of women. Okay? okay. That's a third, a third of people are still with their parents up, up, up through age 30. Wow. Uh, which means they haven't launched in a, in a, in a way. In other words, I'm when saying the last one left our house. I changed the locks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that's something that's important from a parenting perspective. Uh, yeah. if, if that's not happening, and uh -huh. I, mean, I understand there's different circumstances and there's sure. expenses and, and inflation and all those other sort of things, but it becomes a really important factor uh, because this is a time of life that is really meant to be uh, enjoyed right. and, and appreciated, and and it, and it's a lot better if there's not kids here anymore okay yeah. yeah it makes a lot of sense <laughs> well everything takes longer you're slower and and if you had body pain which i did when i was really young because i have a rare form of arthritis but oh, okay. you know the the two of us now get up in the morning and and compare 
you know, what, what do you have for eggs today? You know, <laughs> what, what, what's cricking and, you know, <laughs> and, and putting on your underwear without hanging on to anything is considered an Olympic event. Yeah. If you can actually do it, you know, <laughs> jump into it. That's a 10. That's really great. Oh, that is that's like, great. No tens anymore, you know. You can you can rate how well you did at that every morning. <laughs> oh, that's great. So so you guys wrote the book 19 years ago. You now are almost 70. What are some differences? Like if you were to write another book about sex at 70, um, what are some differences that you would say exist between 50 and 70 even? You want to start? Well, I I think I didn't expect to ever hit that. 18 year period where I just really wasn't a sexual being. Mm. So I had to really, I mean, I, I was afraid it would never come back. And I just, I grieved it. I mean, over and over and over again, because it was so important to me. Yeah. And then when it came back, it was like, I couldn't understand why it came back. I mean, it wasn't like we'd done really anything different, but I was just ecstatic that it was. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I would have emphasized in the book that generally most research done on sexuality and the female body for the longest time was done by male researchers. Mm. So thank you, men, for your idea of what's happening to me. Okay. <laughs> and they concluded that women in perimenopause, menopause, were all hot to trot. I mean, you know, they all became cougars. I mean, you know, just let me rip down the walls and take you on. You and know? does that happen for some women? For some women, it does. Okay. But in my experience of speaking to women and talking to women and in the, in the counseling practice, it's a very small percentage. Okay. It's it's not even a fourth. It maybe is an eighth of the women that happens to, okay. and seven eighths of them just go. You know, I don't care if I ever have sex again. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I think that what we what I would say about that is is that uh, there are some women that basically what, what, what how that gets described is as the testosterone estrogen ratio changes okay mm. your testosterone level is dropping a little bit too but not as much as the estrogen level so for some women they actually have relatively more in the ratio they have more testosterone uh than they they had before relative to the, to, to the lower estrogen and so that can that can kick off a, a, a more of a sex drive sort of response mm -hmm. but, but not enough to hit their husband yeah yeah not enough to punch him in the face you know but uh <laughs> okay but, got but it but i think but i think that you know yeah, you know research to say that, that that affects about like 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 30 percent of women can have that that, that increase but it's okay. probably you know it's a lot of individual variation there not everybody ages the same not every not everybody has experiences of the same yeah. uh and i think that most women like carolyn said most women go through a period of time uh as they're dealing with their body changes um you know whether it be you know body image issues um, I like to say that 99% of women have body image issues and the other 1% are lying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Probably true. <laughs> yeah. yep. so, so it's a very different perspective than men. Yeah. Uh, we have an illustration in our book. That's uh, uh, a cartoon that you've maybe seen before where, you know, he's looking in the mirror and he's like fat and overweight and everything else, but he sees this you know amazing hunk that's there. She's looking in the mirror and she's actually, you know, rel relatively attractive, but she sees this fat thing, you know, in, in the mirror that's mm. staring back at her that doesn't look anything like her at all. Yeah. And, I, and so that, so that, so we do have a little bit of dysmorphia, if you will, about that yes. sort of thing. But I think that, but I think that, uh, 
you know, more women than not, if 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 they haven't gone through the aging process together with their spouse, they haven't partnered together with their spouse with the process, they can easily get to the place where it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't even want to, I don't want it to effort it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think the one way to think about it, and I, I've talked before about, you know, the, 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 the falling in love process, the, the passionate love sort of experience, yeah. and then what I call companionate love. And there's actually different chemicals and so forth involved. You know, when mm-hmm. we fall in love, uh, typically, you know, it's a, researchers have found that it's a, it's a process that lasts up to about two years, maybe two and a half years. And and what happens in the brain is uh, we you know we have uh, a lot more uh, dopamine hitting the the, the nucleus accumbens. That's the pleasure center of the brain. It hits the same receptors that that cocaine hits. Okay, so this this falling in love experience, we have we have a drop in the activity in the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of the brain that allows us to think about consequences, allows us to think about, you know, right and wrong. It's planning, organization, so forth. Well, that kind of drops a little bit. So we can, we kind of get stupid. Okay. That's kind of what happens. And then, you know, we have uh, an increase in the, um, uh, we have a drop in serotonin. Serotonin helps for mood, mood stabilization and so forth. So people tend to get obsessed easier. And yeah. so you do, and, and that's why this, this, the object of your affection kind of is like a drug. You know, it's almost like you're under the influence of this drug. And like I said, uh, PEA, that's phenylethylalamine. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chemical that basically speeds up the connections between receptors and so forth. All that stuff's going on when we fall in love. So it's a pretty wild ride experience, right? Yeah, and that's um, the dating, engaged. Yeah, yeah, you know, it allows people to come together, date, and maybe uh, produce their first offspring, right? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so it allows for the propagation of the species, I suppose. So newlywed you know, and, and first yeah, yeah. producing of offspring. Okay. But, but it actually, but that happens too when people get together, you know, even later in life and so forth. They can experience that as well. Okay, yeah. but the real transition for couples where they sometimes don't make, and this is this is this is key, I think, not only in terms of, you know, when we talk about older couples, but even couples in middle age and so forth, is as as they move out of that falling in love, that passionate love sort of place. They need to transition to what I call companionate love, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's a different set of chemicals, if you will. Yeah. Estrogen, or, or excuse me, serotonin levels start to go up a little bit, and that means we have a little bit more mood stability in that situation. You have, you have more, you know, more natural endorphins and so forth in that situation. You have, you have something called um, more oxytocin connection. Yeah. You know, oxytocin is that cuddle chemical, and and it allows people to feel more trusting and more yeah. uh, bonded. Uh, you see, you have vasop- vasopressin, which is basically the antidiuretic hormone. It relates to fidelity and so forth. And so there's just a whole lot more stability that happens in the relationship. And there's a lot more sense of connection and closeness and bonding. That can happen, right? Like why do people miss it though? Well, because they keep going for the buzz. Ah, okay. Sometimes some people, some people like go through this falling in love thing serially. Yeah. In other words, once they fall out of love, instead of transitioning, they find someone else to love. Okay. Mm, yep. And I think that's a problem. And so I think helping couples get to the place where they can maintain the kind of connection that sustains them through the aging process. That's what allows them to mature properly and allows yeah. them to be able to have the kind of connection in, in later life that they really need as they, as, as they, as they grow old together, you know? So. Wow. That's so good. Yeah, man, we could play that on repeat a few times. I think that's <laughs> my big takeaway from this, especially having worked with couples who are going through a quote midlife crisis or, you know, going through, um, maybe this breach and they're not sure if they're going to enter into that companionate love or go seek the high again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and it's real important because 
It's it's a it's a necessary natural process. We can't sustain that high. You know, it's like any kind of drug addiction. Eventually, it destroys you. Okay, yeah. you know, you need to be able to. You're not. I find. I used to love roller coasters. Okay. Uh -huh. I'm not that fond of them anymore. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. But you know, it's like, I don't have to do a roller coaster to feel, you know, that, you know, the buzz, you know, right. it's okay. Right. You know, and living life on a roller coaster gets nauseating and exhausting after a while. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. So we are definitely going to be linking all three of the Celebration of Sex books in the show notes, um, specifically the Celebration of Sex After 50. But for those who are listening and are like, what next steps should I take? Like, obviously, I'll get the book, but what else should I do now if I find myself after 50 and experiencing a lot of these hormonal body changes, self-esteem? Um, what next steps should they take um, now? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that there's a lot of information in the book that's helpful. It, it can be, you can read it, at, you know, specific chapter at a time. You don't have to start it and read it cover to cover. Yeah. Uh, so there, there, so there, are, there, are, there are chapters that are specifically talking about medication or talking about uh, things like, uh, like hormonal changes we talked about before, uh -huh. uh, talks about sexual dysfunction, okay. uh, talks about physical disability. You know, oftentimes mm -hmm. you have to make some changes and so forth associated with disability. Talked about how the positions of sex can change. Uh, oh, what are some good. more comfortable Very practical. Talking about just um, just touch. How can we how can we experience uh, you know whether whether it be massage with one another or or whether it be in terms of just learning what kind of touch people have. Learning about sexual communication. Because your erogenous zones can all change on you. Yeah, that's something that's really wild. Um, yeah. You know, a man, a man, man. You know, uh, I had one couple one time, and 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 and, and I was trying to talk about what what they liked and what they didn't like about their sexual life with each other, and. And she was saying, well, I hate it when he always touches this one spot. And he was shocked. He couldn't understand why that was. And he, she goes, he goes, she goes, why? And she goes, well, one time I touched there and you moaned. And so he thought that was the special spot. So every yep. time he's in that spot over like crazy. But, you know, it's like there's different areas that it can she change. She was in agony. Yeah. <laughs> there's different ways in, that we experience sensuality in that situation. Yeah. Different things, yeah. And different it can things. change. And then different kinds of touch, too. Uh, you know, guys, sometimes I find are not aware of how that they, they, they need to utilize different types of touch, you know, and there's yep. different things that she may like, whether it's a teasing touch or whether it's a massaging touch or a tickling touch or whatever it is, you know, there's different kinds of things. And, and if they have rough hands and things like that, it can be a dis issue as well. Yep. So like I said, we have several chapters to talk about just okay. the difference, difference uh, differences in terms of personalities, um, being able to understand and, 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 and learn to accept and understand who this person is that you are married to in that situation. Uh, and, and just also recognizing that, um, you know, there, there needs to be communication even in the bedroom. Uh, I'm surprised how many times couples don't talk about what they like or don't like, not only outside the bedroom, mm. but in the bedroom, they don't talk about what that hurts or that, you know, can, you, yeah. you, know you just slow down or something like that. Uh, we also talk about the importance of uh, relational foreplay, 
Uh, and then there's sexual foreplay that happens in the bedroom. Relational foreplay is all the stuff that happens outside the bedroom. It's those good. are the things that make me want to go to bed with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's that, those things that make me remember that I like you, you know, right. Remember that I, you know, enjoy you and value you. Yes. Uh, and so, so there's, I think there's lots of things that people can do, but they have to pay attention yeah. and, and uh, they have to kind of be aware of what's going on. And they have to also come to an understanding as to what's, what's 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 realistic mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times people continue to have unrealistic expectations about what they can do or should do because they used to be able to do it uh -huh. you know what i did when i was 20 or even when i did was when i was 40 or even what i was able to do when i was 50 mm -hmm. you know i as now as almost 70 I, I i can't do all those things you know and i can fight that or i can accept that grieve it and be able to move forward uh with a new um understanding about myself and a new realistic sort of uh, appreciation of who i am yeah. Excellent. So good. Well, uh, we are going to wrap up this episode the way that we close out all of our episodes. And that's by asking you guys this question. I'll ask you, Carolyn, and then Dr. Jim will ask you. So rewinding back to your first couple years of marriage, uh, how long have you guys been married now? 30 years. 30 years. Okay. 30 years. So rewinding back, um, almost 30 years ago, what advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Dear young married couple, you are on a roller coaster that is going to keep going. You may want to get off, you can't. And it's going to keep going. And just when you think you went through the biggest drop of your life, it's going to flatten out and you're going to say, good, I'm not going to lose my stomach again. And then you're going to start climbing again. And then there's going to be another plunge. And so just accept the fact that that's going to be your life until you die. And you probably will do better with the changes that are ahead. Wow. Well, what, what, what happens is we get older that we don't, we don't have, we don't, it's not, it's not quite the same wild ride as it once was. That's, that's helpful. That's good. Uh, Dear young married couple, I think there's two things that I would have uh, someone think about. Um, and that first is, you know, be willing to adapt, be adaptable, be willing to make changes, um, be willing to change your thinking, be willing to change your behavior, be willing to change your perspective. You know, uh, it's, it's, I think it was Darwin that said that you know, the key to survival is adaptability, uh, adaptation. <laughs> Uh, I know you may not believe everything that he said, but that's uh -huh. a key. That, that adaptation is a key to survival. I think that's very true. Right. So for us to survive, we have to adapt. And for us to survive in our relationship, we have to make adaptations. Good. The second thing I'd say is, is focus on the here and now. Focus on the present. So many times what happens in marriage and so forth is we, we think about all the stuff that happened in the past or we worry about the future and we don't pay attention to the present, to the here and now. Mm -hmm. And so what we know is if, it, if the key to adaptation, if the key to survival is adaptation, the key to thriving is when I focus on the present, when I focus on what's going on in front of me and I'm not bogged down by the things that have happened in the past or I'm not worried about what's going to happen next. Excellent. Such good advice. You guys, thank you so much for the work you've done in the field over the years and how it continues to benefit young married couples and older married couples for years to come. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks for the opportunity. Do you want a for sure way of spicing up your sex life? 
Sign me up. Just wanted to offer you a free download to help you guys. For so many of you, sex was not talked about and was definitely a taboo subject. So here is a clean list of ideas from Christian authors who want to bring fun and novelty into your bedroom. Follow the link in the show notes. And also, if you want some more personalized help or counseling, just shoot us a text, 916-678-1797. Also, a ton more cool stuff at dearyomarycouple.com. Go check it out. See you next week. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.